Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. One of our favorite interviews is with us again today, Jeffrey Sussman. He's written a number of great books. We've talked about some of the great boxers of the past. We've talked about influence of the mob. And today we've got a specific Las Vegas book written. And in my mind, it's one of the best, if not the best, historical books out there on Las Vegas. He talks about not only the mobs, and everybody knows about that, but then he takes it beyond that. And you know, Jeffrey, that was one of the things I found interesting right off the bat. By the way, the book is called Sin City Gangsters, The Rise and uh, Decline of the Mob in Las Vegas. And what I thought was interesting is you took it beyond where most people do, is when Howard Hughes comes in, they kind of fade off. You've taken it all the way to today, and it really allows you to kind of look at the whole growth of Las Vegas and to see really where the impact of the mob took it. Was that part of your your idea was to give the full history? Exactly. That's exactly what I was trying to do. I don't think you can really understand where we're at now without understanding where it started. It really is a city that, sure, adapts quickly. One thing is you got to be willing to take a risk. Yeah, and, and, and all the people I wrote about were really extreme risk takers. It kind of goes along with the thing that makes uh, Vegas what it is. Everybody knows about gambling. Well, you had to be willing to take somewhat, uh, some kind of a gamble. I mean, some of these are better risks than others, but really there's no playing in Las Vegas if you're not willing to kind of put it on the line. Exactly. That's exactly right. Well, let's talk about that. First of all, take us to the beginning of Vegas. Where, uh, gambling is legal. It's in the 30s and so forth. How did the mob get in there? Because they picked, figured out this out right away. Yeah, I, I mean, they wanted a state where gambling was legal, where they wouldn't have to, you know, pay off the cops in order to have, have uh, gambling. It was legal. Uh, they could make it attractive so that people from all over the country would come there and gamble. And as uh, Meyer Lansky said, he, he said, having a casino is one of the greatest stores in the world because it's the only kind of store where you don't have to sell any merchandise. <laughs> well, you know, they weren't selling merchandise, but they were sell- selling a, a concept. And you're right. It's not just that these guys knew, you know, we all know about, we've seen the untouchables and so forth, how these people will fight each other. But there was a lot more to it than this. These people understood how to market, and they, they kind of understood where people, uh, how, how much they wanted to gamble in a place where they could feel comfortable. Exactly. And, and when, you know, when someone asked Meyer Lansky, why he didn't cheat customers at his casinos. He said, why should I cheat them? I make plenty of money by having an honest game. In addition to which, if I cheat them, people are going to learn that my casino isn't honest and they're not going to come back a second or third time. As long as they know that we run an honest game, people are going to come back over and over again and and we'll continue to do well. 
Boy, it's the truth. And, you know, that was one thing I hear people talk about the good old days when the mob ran the place. And the one thing they will tell you is, yeah, nobody ever was felt like they were cheated that way. I mean, there was you didn't want to get in the way of uh, any family fights. But in terms of that, you were pretty safe. You were going to get a, a fair shake. Exactly. And not only that, it was a very safe town to, to, to grow up in. I, I interviewed, uh, for example, Mo Dalitz's daughter, Susan Dalitz, who, as a young girl, grew up in Las Vegas, and she said, you know, you could go out any place at night. You were perfectly safe. You didn't have to lock your doors. It was probably the safest city in the world. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that about locking the doors, because I even think when I was when I first uh, came of age and went down, not only to Vegas, but this even uh, applied in Reno and so forth, it's the one place you could walk in the middle of the street, kind of count your money in front of them, and you always felt secure. I mean, was that partly the way they set it up where not only was it a fair game, but you kind of felt like if somebody was going to try to pull something from outside, they were going to take care of it for you. They, they, they would. I, I, I mean, th- there was the... It implicit threat that you better not mess with our customers, because if you do, you're going to find yourself in a great deal of trouble. It's interesting, too. You and I spoke a lot about mobsters involved in boxing, and that was fixing fights and things of that nature. And as you say, this time it was different. It was working at an illegal end. But but they still had that illegal part. That came from getting like right uh, getting politicians in your back uh, pocket, that kind of thing. Exactly. I mean, the um, when they wanted legislation passed that would be beneficial to them, or they wanted legislation killed that would have been damaging to them, they had friends in Congress and the Senate, locally and nationally, who who would act on their behalf because these people poured in a ton of money into their campaigns. Tell us a little about some of those politicians. Were there some that were really just there because they were put up by the mob? Um, there were a lot of politicians who uh, the mob realized would do their bidding. And, you know, it's almost as if they interviewed them for their job beforehand. And then they decided, yes, you know, we'll contribute and, and give you whatever you need in, in order to get elected. And was there some guys that were on the other side? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking of like Robert F. Kennedy, who... Um just simply decided to go after some of these. And we'll talk a little about his whole involvement with Hoffa and so forth. But was there some guys that they were kind of afraid of that they had to take care of to get them out of the way? Well, Robert Kennedy represented the biggest threat to them. And, and, and anyone who's still alive from that era still has a, a tremendous amount of anger directed at, at the memory of Robert Kennedy. Why do you think he did that? I mean, because certainly his brother didn't do that. I mean, there are some people that believe Giancana was one of the reasons he was able to win in 1960. So, but, but RFK was a different uh, animal when it came to uh, dealing with the mob. He, 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 was, um, he, he had been on uh, you know, two sort of anti-mob committees when, um, uh, as, as a counselor before even his brother became president. In, in, in the 1950s. And I think he thought it was, a, you know, a, a terrific way of earning a reputation for himself. And, 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 and then I think he just began to really believe it. He, he, he was directed towards doing this. He was like a avenging angel. Yeah, and let's talk about Jimmy Hoffa, because people know about some of the stuff about Hoffa and, of course, the way he... Uh has been missing for all these years, so to speak. Uh, but he was very involved in Vegas, right, in terms of using the pension fund. 
Right. Uh, you know, he and, and Mo Dalitz had known each other since they were young men back in Detroit because Mo Dalitz's family owned uh, laundry businesses there, and uh, they were constantly being challenged by unions. And Mo Dalitz went to Jimmy Hoffa, who had just uh, reached a position of importance in the Teamsters Union, and he said, can you help me keep my family's businesses union-free? And Hoffa did. And, and, and after Prohibition, when uh, Mo Dalitz opened gambling casinos in uh, Kentucky and Indiana, he got some financing then from the uh, Central States Pension Fund. And when he, uh, when he finally, um, when Dalitz finally wanted to build a casino in Las Vegas after World War II, the Desert Inn, he, you know, he couldn't get financing from banks uh, because none of the banks wanted to lend money to build casinos. They thought it was uh, too risky. And, and so he went to Hoffa, and Hoffa arranged for the Central States Pension Fund to, uh, to in effect, finance uh, the building of uh, the Desert Inn. When Hoffa would come out to town, was the uh, red carpet uh, rolled out for him? Absolutely. Uh, um, you, you know, he, he, was, um, he, he was treated like a kingmaker, but he was also, you know, very puritanical. Uh, you, you know, he, he wouldn't drink heavily. Uh, he wouldn't accept the favors of hookers. Um, he, he tried to be, you know, uh, above all of that. But nevertheless, he, he was treated as, uh, you know, uh, the, the man who pulled the puppet strings. Yeah, you know, you talk about like hookers and some of the other parts in the whole idea of Sin City. Was that partly, do you think that really came about because the, the mob was involved that, you know, as long as we're here and we got people coming in, you know, let's not miss out on other vices we can get the, and make some money off as well? Well, it, 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 it certainly was an attraction for the gamblers and, 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 and the, um, you know, people who gambled. And the mobsters weren't about to put an end to it because it, it benefited them. Uh, that the you know when people weren't gambling they they could you know have the services of a hooker and then a lot of the hookers worked to to bring gamblers back to the tables to keep it gambling well okay that's one way and then i guess all the stuff with the entertainment and we'll, we'll talk about elvis and frank sinatra and stuff but that was part of the idea right from the start right even uh, you know when you talk about bugsy siegel and meyer lansky and these people the, the, the entertainment was to bring those folks in, right? Because they wanted to. That was part of the whole ambiance they were trying to build. Yeah, it, it, it was an ambiance where where anything goes. Where you can come here and you don't have to worry. Uh, you you can leave your conscience back home, and and you can just come here and and enjoy yourself, and 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 you don't have to worry uh, about anyone uh, judging you or saying anything bad about you. You can give in to all your desires and just enjoy yourself and have a good time. So while this is certainly a 21st century marketing ploy, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Right. Uh, that's really been that, – that, that goes back to those guys, right? I mean, that's where that comes from, really. Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. Did people feel that way in the in the fifties and the sixties? Even then, was it sort of a thing like you know, if you're just a person living in New York or L.A. or wherever, and you want to go escape for a few days, you go down there. Did were, were, was the average person thinking about that? I mean, obviously, different levels of gambling will will uh, afford you different uh, locations and, and things you can do. But was that part of it? It, it was a place you could go to sin. It it, it, it was in many ways. You know, a number in the 1970s, I interviewed a man named uh, uh, Big Julie Weintraub, who who was one of the inventors of the uh, the Las Vegas junket, and, and to the Dunes Hotel, and and he told me that 
you know, he would have all these high rollers on a plane, and they not only were looking forward to, you know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars gambling, but, but also to having a good time with hookers and, 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 and just enjoying themselves. And, you know, they would leave their wives at home, and, and, and this was a special kind of vacation for them. Yeah, and, and these guys were so smart, too, that they knew there was different levels of this, right? So there were more moderate hotels where they were junkets, too. It just was at a lower level, that kind of thing. And then eventually they went international where they got people coming from all over the world. Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> how did Vegas, how did, were they able to make that the capital? Because I know Havana had it. You had places in Europe and so forth. But they really were able to turn Las Vegas to kind of the gambling capital of the world. Yeah, I, you know, there were a lot of people, I guess, who were reluctant to go to uh, Cuba for one reason or another, and L- L- Las Vegas seemed, you know, like a, uh, an easier destination, a more American destination. Uh, you, you didn't have to worry about a uh, uh, passport, uh, different kinds of currencies, uh, the language. Um, it, it, it all fed into um, the, the ease of, of, of going to Las Vegas. Plus, you know, it became well-known that you could have all these various pleasures in, in, in Las Vegas without any problems. Well, also, you know, you know the, the, the casinos put on these uh, fabulous shows with showgirls, which, you know, the, um, the, the Havana casinos really didn't stress the entertainment part of it as, as much as Vegas did. Yeah, and then I guess, uh, like you say, you know, you're saying like an American place, and that's important not only from a patriotic standpoint, but it's also like if I get in any trouble, at least I can get an attorney and do some things. If I get in trouble in Cuba, who knows? <laughs> exactly. You, you, you know, in, in, in the mid-1950s, my, my mother and father went to uh, Havana on vacation, and my father gambled, and, and he won a lot playing craps. And someone came over to him afterwards and said, you have to leave the casino. You've won too much money. Wow. That, that, that would never have happened in, in, in Vegas. No, you know, that is interesting. Cause, yeah, and people realize in Vegas, if you won a lot of money, they'd be publicizing it because they know that most people aren't. And they'll use that as a marketing tool to get other people in. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Well, and it goes back to what you said before about Lansky, and they were smart enough to realize that, hey, we can make plenty of money with this and just play it, you know, the odds are in our favor. That's right. And, and you know, once you established a casino and, and, and it was up and running, it, the flow of cash that, that came into these people was just enormous. The only illegal thing that they did was the skimming. Um, where they, you know, because they didn't obviously want to pay taxes on all of that income, so they were skimming a lot of money off the top and and then distributing it uh, amongst the various owners. More with Jeffrey Sussman, author of Sin City Gangsters, The Rise and Decline of the Mob in Las Vegas, in just a moment. This is Vegas Never Sleeps. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. By wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers right away. If you're testing your blood sugar four or more times per day, injecting insulin three or more times per day, or using an insulin pump, call the Diabetic Health Hotline today and learn about the latest CGM technology. A CGM can immediately reduce pain. It's accurate, easy to use, and helps 
helps you make better diabetes treatment decisions. And if you have Medicare, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Plus, get free shipping, and we'll bill your insurance company for you. Call now to receive your new continuous glucose monitor at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Paid for by U.S. Medical Supply. Call 800-273-2295. That's 800-273-2295. Again, 800-273-2295. That's 800-273-2295. Do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Are you being audited or investigated? Has the IRS sent you a letter demanding payment? You may not owe what they claim. Make this free call to the tax doctor now. Let them negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. Call 800-605-4650. 800-605-4650. That's 800-605-4650. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are talking with Jeffrey Sussman, author of Sin City Gangsters, The Rise and Decline of the Mob in Las Vegas, the brand new book that charts Vegas from the first modest mob-owned casinos to the present billion-dollar resorts. Yeah, and the Las Vegas skim was important, right? Because it was just another way. It's like taking that profit margin. How do I uh, raise it a little bit? Well, there you go. Exactly. And, and it was interesting because Meyer Lansky was put in charge of you know, making sure that, let's say, the 20 different owners or people who had points in a particular casino, that they all got their share on a regular basis. And he never cheated them. He always made sure that everyone got what was owed to them. Well, is that where the criminal stuff can come into, where you could go in there and if somebody's taking too much off the scam or making it too obvious, they're going to have to be removed? Well, yeah, that, that certainly happened in the 1970s, you know, after uh, Anthony Spilatro and, and Lefty Rosenthal were involved in Vegas. Yet you had people stealing from the skim. Yeah, you know, we're hearing these names. I want to go through just a few of them. I, I, I should have mentioned, actually, that, that that was also the reason that uh, uh, Gus Greenbaum was killed, because he was stealing from the skim also. You look back and you think, wow, I, I guess that's the, the gambler in them. They think they can push it, and uh, there's no reason to, but, you know, they accept to make more money. Exactly. And, and, you know, these guys are basically rule breakers. They've been rule breakers their whole lives. They don't like rules. And you get a guy like <clears throat> Gus Greenbaum, who, you know, was a mobster long before he came to Vegas, and, and he said, you know, why shouldn't I take some of this for myself? You know, I'm entitled to it. Yeah, it's a sense of entitlement. Well, let's go through a few of these mobsters, because I, I find you, you cover them all, and I just want to get your take. So first of all, Bugsy Siegel, a lot of mythical information about him, right, because of the right. movie, pretty much? Yes. I, I, I mean, you know, he didn't start Vegas. You, you know, there were all these uh, kind of uh, what, uh, sawdust on the floor, cowboy casinos, uh, before he got there. Uh, but it was only <clears throat> when... The mob started realizing the potential for Vegas, that you could have big casinos and, and attract a lot of people and, and have a, a lot of entertainers come here to, to attract people, that the mob really got involved after the war. But, you know, the Flamingo was originally started by Billy Wilkerson, who owned the Hollywood Reporter and, 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 and a couple of restaurants in Beverly Hills. And, and when he needed more money to complete the Flamingo, he borrowed it from the mob, from Lansky, Luciano, and, 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 and Siegel, and then Siegel pushed him out. 
he, he, he said, you know, I, I'm taking over, and if you don't like it, too bad. And, and they threatened to kill him, and, and he went to Europe and lived there for a year because he was frightened of being killed. Sure, and, and that was one of the difficulties with this. Boy, you don't want to run out of money because uh, <laughs> that's a tough bank to, to take a loan from. <laughs> that, that, that's right. And, you know, when, when those guys saw the potential of what the Flamingo could be, they didn't want Wilkerson there anymore. You know, th- thank you very much for starting it and, and funding it. You, you know, here's your money, now disappear. That was a great idea, though, because, like you say, they were more like dude ranches with gambling. And the way they kind of did those resorts, like the Flamingo and then some of the Desert Inn and so forth, it was really kind of uh, forward-looking, right? I mean, that's a, a whole type of hotel um, resort living that really uh, was kind of unheard of. You know, at least that combination with the gambling and so forth. Yeah, I, I mean, they made it a, a, a complete resort. Where you could go there, you, you, uh, they had gymnasiums, you had a swimming pool, you, you, you had terrific restaurants, you would have fabulous entertainment, and you could gamble. Well, there's a couple more. Meyer Lansky, I just want to uh, mention him because what little I know about Meyer Lansky, I know uh, from actually from Al Davis, who used to own the Raiders, would say one time uh, when they went to the first Super Bowl way back, or the, their first Super Bowl, which was way back in the 60s, uh, he was all busy there, and Lansky asked him to come out to Florida. He goes, I didn't have to go out there. He goes, but then I realized I did have to go. I mean, that was the kind of power a guy like that had, right, where if he wanted something, uh, you know, you did it. Well, well, he, he he was probably the most powerful. He and Lucky Luciano were probably the two most powerful gangsters in in in, in America. And and Lansky didn't particularly like Las Vegas. He didn't like having to go out there and collect money and so forth. He sent his brother, uh, Jake Lansky, out there to do all of that work for him. And he he pretty much stayed in Florida. Well, now Mo Daylitz, an interesting guy because if you've seen the movie The Godfather, that's kind of who when they're talking about Mo in there. They're kind of talking about him, and, and uh, that was a guy that that was built by Vegas, wasn't he? He he was, I think, the most interesting figure in 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 of all the mobsters who came to Las Vegas, because here was a man who started out as a bootlegger, then became a gambler. And in his later years, he was called Mr. Las Vegas. He, he, he kind of redid his whole resume. He built churches. He built synagogues. He built hospitals. He built schools. He built shopping malls. He was named uh, uh, the Man of the Year by the United Jewish Appeal. Uh, he was named Mr. Las Vegas. He, 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 he became a, a celebrated individual who, you know, in, in other families where, you know, it would take three generations to go from bootlegger to, to philanthropist. He, he, he did it all in, in, in one lifetime. There's, there's a whole list of people, and you got to get the book. It's fantastic. It's uh, Sin City Gangsters, The Rise and Decline of the Mob. One last guy before we move on, and that is Sam Giancana, who I mentioned a little before, really involved in politics. He was another guy that, um, again, Sinatra, you answered to Sam and all that. I mean, even the presidents, it was, uh, he was a powerful, scary guy. He, he was not only powerful and scary, but you know what a lot of people uh, don't know is that twice during his life, he put out a contract on Frank Sinatra. And the first time was when uh, uh, Frank Sinatra lost his temper and challenged a, uh, a state gaming commissioner uh, regarding the Calneva Lodge. And um, 
Sam Giancana was really a 50% secret owner of that, and Frank Sinatra was fronting for him. And the other 50% owner was Joseph Kennedy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, and I forgot who fronted for him. It was, it was uh, an Irishman from Boston. And um, when they took away the license for the Calneva Lodge because of Frank Sinatra's outbursts and attack of this man, Sam Giancana said, I'm going to lose my whole investment because of this guy. Why couldn't he just keep his mouth shut? And then he issued a contract on um, a, a, a Sinatra's life. And, and Sinatra heard about it, and he, he called um, Meyer Lansky back in New York, and he said, Meyer, can you please do something about this? You know, Sam wants to have me killed. And Meyer said, I'll, I'll try to take care of it, and he did. Uh, he, he had the contract rescinded. But... but um, but That's Sam Giancana was a very, very powerful man and a very scary man. Yeah. You know, the Cal Neva, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, for those who don't know, it's up in Lake Tahoe. And literally, the hotel and the casino are on the state line. They're literally on it. You know, the casino side was in Nevada and the hotel side was in California. How come that just seemed like it was a perfect location and so forth? Was it just too obvious where the, the state of Nevada had to kind of put the wraps on that? Because it just seemed like a, a good idea at the time. Well, it was a good idea, and, and, and it, it was Sinatra who provoked this investigation by the state. Everything was going along calmly, and everything was fine. The right people were being paid off, and, and, and nothing bad was happening until Sinatra went berserk. Literally, and uh, he, you know, he attacked people. He beat up people. Um, he, uh, he, um, he he tried to bribe the wrong people, and they got offended by it. Um, and, and 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 so they decided to to go after it. And 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 Sinatra was the cause, and 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 that's why you know Sam Giancana was furious, and Sam Giancana did lose his investment in it. It, it, it cost about, a, initially, when it was first built, it cost a little over a million dollars, and, and half of that came from Giancana, and half of it came from Joseph Kennedy. Yeah, that was real money in those days. That was It really money. was. <laughs> well, you know, Sinatra is just so tied into Vegas, the Rat Pack thing, and uh, that was another thing, though. He was really important, because not that Vegas wasn't already on the map, but I remember reading about when that stuff was going on. I, I mean, everybody, uh, you couldn't think of a better thing than to go see that. In fact, for seven bucks, too, you could go see them, uh, the biggest acts in show business at the time. Yeah, uh, Sinatra was an interesting case because, you know, on the one hand, people loved him. You know, he, he could, you know, one minute tip a bellboy $100, and, and an hour later, uh, go into the restaurant and be served a hamburger that he didn't like. He would throw it against the wall and try to arrange to have the waiter and the chef fired. And I don't know if you've ever heard this story, that he was uh, gambling uh, one night at the Sands, and uh, the, the Sands had, had just been bought by uh, Howard Hughes. And Howard Hughes said any gamblers who owe the house money are not going to be extended any additional credit, so they pay off their markers. And uh, Sinatra owed uh, $200,000 to the casino. And he was playing blackjack late at night. And he, he, he lost $50,000, and he wanted another $50,000 line of credit. And uh, the, the hotel wouldn't give it to him. And, and he became crazy. And he, he, he threatened the security guard. He started throwing chairs around. He went to the uh, telephone operators and demanded that they call Carl, Carl Cohn, who was the overall manager of both the casino and the hotel. 
and they said he's sleeping, he can't be bothered, he doesn't want to be disturbed, and Sinatra started ripping out their telephones. They had to call a security guard to have Sinatra removed. Finally, at, uh, at about 5.30 in the morning, they were able to get Carl Cohn's attention, and he agreed to meet Sinatra in the Garden Restaurant, which is like a coffee shop in, in the, the Sands, and they were sitting opposite one another in a, in a booth, and Sinatra is screaming at um, um, Carl Cohn, and uh, Sinatra is sitting there with his bodyguard and friend, Chili Rizzo. And at one point, Sinatra says to uh, uh, Carl Cohn, you're a dirty Jewish kike. And Carl Cohn picked up Sinatra by his shirt collars and punched him in the face and knocked out his four front teeth. Wow. And the man who told me this story was a man named uh, Tony Napoli, uh, whose father uh, was a man named Jimmy Napoli, who controlled all the um, bookmaking on the East Coast of the United States. And his father got uh, Tony Napoli the job as just the casino manager. And Tony had to drive Sinatra to an oral surgeon to have his lips sewn up. And, and when he came back to Vegas, then Carl Sinatra was so angry that he drove his golf cart through the plate glass window of, of, of the hotel. And then he went back to uh, Beverly Hills, and he called uh, Tony Napoli's father, and he said, I, you know, I want Carl um, uh, Cohn hurt, or something to that effect. And uh, Jimmy Napoli said to him, you can't. He said, he's one of us. Do you know what I mean, Frank? He's one of us. He's untouchable. You can't touch him. In addition to which, he said, Frank, look who's signing your checks. It, 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 it's Carl Cohn. No matter how big those checks are, and there are hundreds of thousands of dollars, he's the one who's employing you. And you have to understand something, Frank. He said, you're not an owner. You're an entertainer. That's what you are. You're an entertainer. You're to be there to entertain people. You're not one of us. You don't own a piece of this, a big piece of this hotel. He, he, he owned two points in the, uh, in, 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 in the sands. And, and uh, Sinatra wouldn't go back to the sands for, for years after that. Oh, but the, the funny thing I forgot to add was because Sinatra mistreated so many of the employees there, the next day a poster went out um, in various places around Las Vegas with a big photograph of Frank Sinatra with his four front teeth blacked out. And above the photograph of Sinatra, it said, vote for Carl Cohn for mayor. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting about that is is all that horrible language. You know, that was something he wasn't known for. He was supposed to be the guy that uh, was really ahead of his time. I mean, he wasn't a bigot. And yet he says something like that. Wow. It just goes to show he was kind of erratic at the time. I mean, Well, well you know, th- th- there was a, um, a friend of his who was uh, in the music business here in New York who said the problem with Frank was that he was an alcoholic. And when he was had drunk so much, he became a different person than the man he was when he was sober, who, who was, you know, a friend, a lot of fun to be with, and and he wasn't at all a bigot. Uh, you know, he was very much anti-bigotry, but this kind of thing popped out of him when he was well gone, you know, drinking a lot. Wow. Now, what about Elvis? Because I know he's his thing with Vegas was interesting because when he first tried it back in the 50s, when he was hot everywhere else, it didn't go anywhere. But then he made his comeback and stuff, and Vegas was good to him. Vegas was terrific to him. Unfortunately, he had a manager who was more interested in uh, gambling and, and having freebies than in making sure that was well paid and he was probably one even though he was known as the king he was one of the most underpaid entertainers who ever performed in vegas so that was the colonel really not taking care of him not 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 at all and and 
when other deals were kind of offered uh, to, to Elvis that didn't enrich the colonel, the, the colonel turned them down, and those were deals that would have significantly enriched Elvis. So when you fast forward to today and you see you know, what, what they did with Sinatra and Presley, when you see stuff like what Adele has or you know, just some of these um, really uh, Celine Dion, Lady Gaga, they've had a huge thing. It's just different though, right? I mean, it's not quite what it was then in the sense that now they come in, they do what they call residency, make a whole bunch of money, and they're kind of se- separated from all that local Vegas intrigue. They, they they are and and, and you know like uh, Celine Dion she makes you know probably a hundred million dollars a year for if, when she performs in Vegas and she doesn't have to perform any place else ever I, I, I mean you, you know uh, Elvis was probably getting um, you, you know maybe a uh, hundred thousand uh, dollars or one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a week of performing uh, in 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 Vegas Sinatra was getting four hundred thousand dollars. But but nothing like what they're 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 getting now. No, and, and Elvis used to play like a show like at three in the morning or something too. I mean, they would never do that now. No, not at all. We got a few more minutes, and I want to cover what happened post uh, thing. And you mentioned before Howard Hughes. That really was the thing that really changed the culture of uh, Vegas. Was it? I mean, his his arrival just changed everything. Absolutely. You know, it was funny in in the late nineteen seventies. I was I at, took a Christmas vacation at uh, the La Costa Resort. Uh, in Southern California, and I was invited to a New Year's Eve party at someone's house, and I began chatting with this elderly man who looked like a Norman Rockwell uh, painting of someone's grandfather, and we were chatting, and we each had a drink, and he said, oh, my back is killing me. I've got to sit down. We sat down, and I asked him his name. It turned out his name was Morris Kleinman, and, 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 and I said, so, you know, what do you do? And he said, well, I used to be one of the owners of the Desert Inn. You know, I was a partner with Mo Dalitzen and Robert Tucker, and I forgot the name, other guy's name. And um, Howard Hughes came, and he took over the, you know, the top two floors of, of the Desert Inn. And because he was a Mormon, and all the people who worked for him were Mormons, they didn't drink or gamble. And we reserved the top two floors for high rollers who would come during the, the holidays. And, and they, you know, they would lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. We were losing a lot of money uh, because of Howard Hughes. So we told him he either had to buy the place or move. So Hughes asked us how much we wanted for it. So, you know, we came up with a price that was four times or five times the value of what the hotel and casino were really worth. And we thought, we'll tell him that, and he'll move out. We told him that, and he said, fine, I'll buy it. And he bought it. (laughs) Oh, my. And that started all this stuff, right? Because then he didn't stop with the Desert Inn. No, no, he bought 12 casinos altogether. And, and, you know, it, 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 while he was in the Desert Inn, he looked out his window and he saw this blinking sign from the, the Silver Slipper and he hated it. So he bought the Silver Slipper <laughs> so he could take down the sign and not have to look at it. Well, and at least people around here say that when Howard Hughes came in, it kind of was ushered in this new era, which continues today as uh, the culture of the accountant. By that, it's like no more freebies for everything. We're going to make everything makes money now. There's not all lost leaders the way they were in the days of the mob. Yeah, I, I mean, he put it on a much more business-like level than it had been before. Before it was, you know, kind of easygoing. And, you know, if, 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 if someone uh, won a few hundred thousand dollars in a casino, it wasn't immediately, you know, t- told to the IRS. You know, they didn't have to f- fill out a form. Uh, they just got the money and they went home. 
<laughs> yeah, not anymore. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> in fact, you know, it's funny. I just I was down in uh, playing at a casino recently, and it was a, a win, but it wasn't that big a win. And the first thing they do is come out and go, uh, "We're gonna get your information for the IRS." <laughs> really? When I'm having a bad time, you're not coming here and get my information. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> well, well, after Howard Hughes, then. That brings in what I call kind of the the scene of the uh, the visionaries, and you know I guess there'll be another uh, thing after that. But I'm talking about guys like Jay Sarno, Kirk Kikorian, Steve Wynn, which everybody knows, and of course Sheldon Adelson had just passed. But like what happened to Wynn and so forth? Do you think like that's the the end of that era, and we're going to go into something different or something maybe just strictly corporate? I, 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 I think it's very much corporate, and, and there's a tremendous amount of money to be made. And they've made sure that Vegas is, is now considered the entertainment capital of the world. Uh, you, you know, it's not just uh, a, a gambling. If, if you want all forms of entertainment, go to Vegas. You can find anything you want there. Yeah, it, but it's a different place. I mean, I, I look at, like, they're going to build the Sphere. Unbelievable place. You know, this, you talk about a risk. That place costs a fortune, and I'm just wondering who's going to be able to keep filling that place up. There's only so many seats. Or oh, I, I know. See, there's plenty of seats. There's only so many people that can fill them. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. But, you, you, you know, Sarno, Krikorian, Wynn, and Adelson, they, they made a ton of money. They, they invested, uh, you know, billions of dollars, but they got it all back. It was extraordinary. So, Jeffrey, when, you know, you, you have done the entire picture. I think anybody that's, if you've only been to Vegas once or you've just seen a movie about it, you still have to have this book. It's, and, of course, if you've been here, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it is the story of this town. So with that in mind, where do you see the future of this? Where, where, what do you think we're going to be looking at maybe 10, 20 years from now? Any ideas? I, 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 I can see Vegas, uh, little Vegases popping up all, all over uh the world and and in different parts of the United States, where where this is going to be uh, uh, looked upon as a, a, a tremendous source of income and jobs for municipal governments, and and, and they're going to want to have a, a Vegas's like this uh, in, in 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 their states, and 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 these people who develop brands, uh, very big business brands in Vegas, are going to extend those brands nationally and internationally. And, you know, it'll be like uh, mobile oil. Mobile oil isn't around anymore. But, but, but like Getty Oil, it'll, it'll be all over the world. Now, that's a fascinating thing. And especially, I think you're on to something, because if you look at what's happened with sports, gambling has become an intricate part of any sport, you name it. And, and now you have to have a, po- a portion of what you do has to fit that world. So that kind of makes sense. And, and does, does Vegas lose its uh, sense of uh, importance, or is that still going to be the capital of this stuff? Well, I, th- I, I think in the foreseeable future, it's certainly the capital of all of this stuff. I, I mean, it was the originator and, and the, the, um, the, the forerunner, and, and, and it keeps growing and attracting more and more people. And I think as long as it keeps growing and attracting more people, it, 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 it's better than Disneyland. Uh, you, you know, it, 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 it's the great entertainment theme park for adults all over the world really is the book is sin city gangsters the rise and decline of the mob in las vegas it is an incredible book he's done it again jeffrey how do we get a hold of the book it, it it's available on amazon.com barnesandnoble.com and many other online booksellers 
You got to get it. Jeffrey, thank you so much. We can't wait till you, till you write your next book so we can have you on again. <laughs> thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being with you. Please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. This is Stephen Manji reminding you, Vegas Never Sleeps. Las Vegas, here we go! Have you written a book? You can become a published author with Dorrance Publishing, the nation's oldest publishing services company. Countless authors have trusted Dorrance for nearly a hundred years to bring their book to the market. Our professional team will edit your text, design your book pages, and create an appealing, eye-catching custom cover. Plus, our authors benefit from a custom book promotion marketing campaign that makes your book available where people buy books, like Amazon and brick-and-mortar bookstores. So make this free call right now to claim your free author's guide to publishing. Don't wait another day. Take one step closer to realizing your dream of becoming a published author and seeing your name in print. You've already written a book, so the next thing to do is make this free call right now to Dorns Publishing and get your free guide to publishing. Call right now. Call 800-923-8625. That's 800-923-8625. Holy gentle giants dog food, Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the caped crusader, and now I'm the canine crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. Yours can too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? Gentle Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our Gentle Giants life-enhancing dog food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airlines travel it's that easy so call now and start packing call right now 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 that's 800-267-1806